join me in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we do our Bible study. There are sermon notes in the bulletin if you don't have one. The ushers have some in hand. Just raise your hand and they'll hand that to you. As we get started this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a story that's told about a young lady who served as a student teacher for 7th and 8th graders in a school system. Her name was Mitzi Rude. And she had a really, really tough time those three months during her student teaching. The kids gave her a horrible time. There was many days she went home crying because the kids were just so rough, so tough, dealing with her. Well, it's the last day. She's wrapping up her student teaching, and to her surprise, she comes into the room and they have a cake there. They're throwing a party for her. She is absolutely surprised that these kids who had given her such a hard time were going to do this party. And then, to make it so much more surprising, up to the front comes the kid who gave her the worst of all the kids. Here he comes walking up, and he stands up before the group. He's got a little package, and he's making a speech about how they appreciated her and how she had done such a great job and she is floored. He had given her the hardest of all the times and when he's all done, this eighth grader reaches over and gives her a kiss on the cheek. She almost passed out. She thought, wow, they really did like me. Everything stopped when she heard that little boy walk back to his chair and say, okay, I kissed her, give me my ten bucks. It just totally changed the whole environment. There's sometimes people make a show and it's really not genuine. There's a fellow who went and visited a church down in our area here in central PA a few years back. He came with this story about how his background was filled with all kinds of difficulties and challenges and how he came to a point where he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He ended up changing his faith religion. He ended up getting married. He had a family. And here he is now entering into this one local church down there. And he came along and said, I really, really like your church after a couple of visits. He, I just love your church. I want to help out this ministry. He told them how his father had passed away and the father had left him multiple pieces of property, about a half a dozen, each one worth about $100,000. And he wanted to give this church some of that land. He said that his wife was dying of cancer and that she had a policy, insurance policy of $750,000. And he had no need for money, so he wanted to give this church all of that money as soon as she passed away. And so he was going through this process of talking about how he was giving them the land, giving them this money. This church was in a little bit of a pickle. They were in a smaller building. They were growing. They needed some expansion. So they got excited about all these promises. In fact, they got excited enough that they went out and they hired the architect. They got the plans drawn up for the potential property. And they came to the point where all of a sudden it was at that point where now we're moving forward. We've invested several thousand dollars to get the things done. And the man was supposed to, he was promising, I'm going to give the paperwork to you, you're going to get the land, you're going to get the land. And all of a sudden he was gone. The fellow had done this to several other churches in the same town. As long as he was popular and people were, were singing his praises, he was perfectly content to just go from church to church to church to be the popular guy that was well-liked. There was no commitment. It was all show. Same thing happened in the New Testament. There is believers who gathered in the local church, and these believers, and by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, they really wanted prestige and to be recognized. So they come one day and they make a great pretense of giving all that they had before the apostles laying at their feet. But the Bible says the truth was they really hadn't surrendered their all. They were keeping back part of the price of the funds, which they could do. There was nothing wrong with doing, but it was the whole show. It was the whole portrayal of how we are so dedicated, we are so interested, but they really weren't. They were more interested in public opinion and public 
applause than they were in seriously serving the Lord Jesus Christ to the best of their abilities. That's why the New Testament writers time and time again are led by the Spirit of God to talk about examining our commitment. Is my commitment to this church based on a paycheck or is it based upon service for Jesus Christ? Is your commitment to this ministry or whatever ministry the Lord has led you to, if you're visiting today, is it based upon just fulfilling an obligation or out of a real love for the Lord and His people? That is a theme that comes up in many of the epistles, that we are supposed to be people who are committed to Christ and committed to one another, so much so that we will seek the spiritual growth of others within the body of Christ and of the body of Christ. It is a theme that shows up in Ephesians 4. I was going to take time this morning to investigate that passage in depth. I'll leave that for next week for sake of time. But I want to investigate 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about this body of Christ. And I need to clarify something in my mind and in your mind. When we read about the body of Christ, what are we referring to? There are two possibilities in scriptures. When it talks about the body of Christ, there is a large body, there is a small body as I understand it. As I understand it, we would say that the body of Christ could be this. It could be the makeup of all the believers who are born again. Everyone who is in the family of God. That's why he says, I will build my church singular. There is this universal concept, this worldwide concept, this idea that Jesus when he says to the to, to our, when Paul writes and says that he had persecuted the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just one local church, it was the church encompassing all the believers, whether they be at Jerusalem or whether they be at Damascus, when, when he writes again about Christ, the Savior of the body, it's not just Faith Baptist Church, it's the big idea of all who are in the family of God. When we read Jesus Christ talking about him being the head of the church, we're talking about this big body. When he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He's talking about all who are believers of all locales, of all different regions that would be termed universal, or maybe the family of God, or maybe we use the term the larger body of Christ or the spiritual body of Christ. And it's a concept in Scripture. But what we know about this body is something that's very important. One, it is a spiritual organism with very little organization. It's an organism. We're related to one another. We're related to all who are born again. But there's not much organization to this body of Christ. There is no such place where we have ever all met together or ever will meet together until the rapture. There's no one individual who is the pastor besides Jesus Christ. There is no deacons of this church, of this universal body. There are no pastor that is elected of this universal body. There is no hierarchy in Scripture. There is no concept of one person heading up the worldwide church. That's not in Scriptures at all. There is no idea in Scriptures where this group meets and takes one single place where they gather and collect offerings like 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, when you meet together as a body, you collect offerings. Well, that's not happening on a universal scale. We know that there isn't a universal communion service. We know that there isn't worship taking place, like in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, where it's talking about using your gifts, and here's how when you meet, you have an order in your service, and here's how you use those, those abilities, and you make sure that people have been the gifts, and if, that, if that's meeting, they do it in an orderly fashion. There is no universal gathering where they're holding regular church services, communion services, baptismal service. That isn't existing. 
It's an organism without an organization, but it'll only be organized and put together in its complexity and completeness when we are raptured. So we have that when we talk about that idea that there is a body of Christ. You were the family of God. And there is that essence of being related. But there is, there is another body. Before I talk about that other body, let me take a moment to talk about the most important issue here. If you are going to be in heaven one day, you have got to become a part of the family of God. You've got to become part of this universal body. You have to be what Scripture says, born again. The Bible talks about that idea that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible talks about the idea that he that does not believe in him is condemned already. So if we don't have, we have not put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but instead we're trusting in our baptism, our catechism, we're trusting in our families, finances, our good deeds, good looks, good works, we are not in that family of God. We are not in that body of Christ. We are not related to Jesus other than we know about him and he is somebody that we may be gathered here to talk about but we don't have a personal relationship with him. That is the idea of believing in him. And without that person coming to a point where they are believing in him and putting their faith and trust in him totally, the Bible says we are condemned. Why? Because we are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. The wages of sin is death or separation from God. You and I do not deserve to go to heaven. But to become part of the family of God, we need to repent of our sins. We need to be born again, as he said, on a couple occasions. You must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. That born again means getting into the family of God. He uses birth as a very, very clear picture. You need to be birthed into his family. You and I are not naturally part of God's family. In fact, the scriptures makes it very clear that we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we become part of his family. Then we shall be saved. If we've come to a point where we confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, that he died, buried, and resurrected for my sins, for your sins, for me and you personally, then he says we shall be saved. He says in scriptures that it happens by simply calling upon the name of the Lord, or as in John 1 says, but as many as received him, asked him to come into their heart. To them gave he power to become something they weren't before, to become the children of God, the sons of God, even to them that believe. You and I need to do that. We need to be birthed into God's family. It comes by admitting that we are sinners, unable to get ourselves into heaven, believing that Jesus and Jesus only is the, Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life, that no man can come unto the Father but by him, and calling upon him, that is, saying, Christ I need you to forgive me of my sins and to give me eternal life. When we do that, we're born again. When we do that, we become part of the family of God. When we do that, we are spiritually entered into the body of Christ that is talked about and that idea of a universal body. But that is only one concept in Scripture of the body of Christ. There is a second concept of script in Scripture, another body. The body is made up of believers only. This body is a smaller body. It is not universal. It is local. It doesn't engage or involve everyone in a sector or a region. It is those who are gathering together. It has a lot more structure. It has organization. It has church services. We're told how they should happen. It has a communion service that the body of Christ is supposed to choose how often they do communion. It has 
pastors. It has deacons. It has teachers. It has the older teaching the younger. It is that which is going out and meeting on a regular basis. It has offerings. It's talked about in Scripture. It too is called the body of Christ. It too is called the church. In fact, out of all the references of church, this is the one that is used most frequently in Scripture when it talks with the idea of the church at Ephesus or the church of Corinth or the church of Thessalonica. We're talking about a local body or the churches at Jerusalem or then that city they had multiple or the churches of Colossae or Philippi or the churches throughout the region of Galatia. That there was localized bodies that met together on a regular basis that elected those leaders that did their communion, that discipline was done if somebody was going errant and, and coming to a point of bringing shame to Jesus Christ. This was the body where there was interaction encouraged through scriptures about greeting one another, about encouraging one another, about building up one another which is a theme in Ephesians chapter 4, that idea that we build up one another. That's why he gave pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ so that we help one another to be built up and to grow in faith. That's what he's calling commitment to. Commitment not to this universal body that takes nothing but just simple belief to enter but commitment to the local body. The smaller body where we are engaged in, we are involved in, we are working to show our faith in Christ and to show our commitment to one another. That is what he talks about in a theme. In 1 Corinthians 12 he is talking in this text in chapters 12, 13, 14 how to use the gifts within the body. And he's going to be very particular but he uses an illustration in the middle of this chapter because there was people that were coming in and had all different types of ideas about what they were supposed to contribute, what they were supposed to do. And he says, let me give you an illustration. Let me give you one that kind of sounds silly or funny. But he says, let me explain what I mean by commitment to a body. Commitment to a work. And let me use the term and the story this morning and, and use the illustration so that the next time you see it and you never think about it again, let me talk about this whole idea of being committed so you're like a Mr. Potato Head. Okay? This is what we're supposed to be. We operate like this character. This is where Christ says, I have many, many different parts and I'm going to plug them in to make this thing look good and do what it's supposed to function. In fact, join me for an extended reading of this whole text to get the flow and the feel of what he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He starts off in the passage talking about those gifts. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. You know that the Gentiles are carried away unto those dumb idols even as they were led. Wherefore I give to you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God can call Christ accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but it is the same Holy Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but it is the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God that works all in all. But the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given to every man so as to profit the whole body or withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith, to another the gifts of healing, to another the work of miracles, prophesying, discerning of the spirits, different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work that one and selfsame Holy Spirit, dividing to every man as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is Christ. 
For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many members. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, am I not the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eyeball, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were a nose or for the smell, a hearing, where would be the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, well, what about the body? But now they are many members, diverse members, yet but one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, they are more necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we should bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there would be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. One member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And then he goes on and repeats what he said. If I take that passage and understand it correctly, he's talking in reference not to the universal body, but the, the local body, the church, where he has put us together so that we know how to be able to relate to one another and to help one another and to suffer with one another and to rejoice with one another. So we have that interaction. And if I understand the text correctly, here's what he's teaching us about this body. He is saying that since God directs people into the body, it's clear that he wants members to become a part of the local church. That God has this plan that he's given you gifts to be able to contribute to a local church. Let me give you another thought. That if the body parts, if we are all different parts, if one of us are the ear or the eye or the nose or whatever, if the body parts have been gifted by the Holy Spirit, which this text says that he has given every single person who is a part of this body some gift or gifts. He's mentioned that twice in verse 7 as well as in verse 11. He says that they are to use those gifts for the spiritual growth of the body. I mentioned that when we were reading through down in, in verse 7 where he says that the gifts were given to help grow the body, not to make a show of yourself. That idea of that showing is in, and pride was exactly what the Corinthians were doing. Some of them were saying, well, this is my gift. I have the gift of tongues. I have the gift of healing. I have the gift of whatever it may be. And they wanted others to applaud them and to laud them and to notice them. And it's, he says, that's not why you're gifted. You're not gifted to be able to be a show or a presentation. You're gifted to help to build one another to encourage one another, to love one another, to build up in the faith. There's this true story that I saw years ago on Merv Griffin's show about an individual who was this bodybuilder. Now, this isn't the real picture, okay? This isn't the guy from the thing. This was a picture, and I, and I, I, I falsified this picture. I should probably show you the real picture, okay? There. You're wondering why Pastor Art has got so much thinner. It's because he stopped working out, okay? But that, it kind of, the guy on the Merv Griffin show kind of looked like this, okay? 
And he came onto the Merv Griffin show and he's doing his, his stuff. Merv Griffin's saying, okay, so what's your ability? And the guy's doing all those, I can't even do the poses. Okay, he's doing the poses and he's doing, and, and he sat down and smiled and Merv Griffin says, so what, what is that, that all for? The guy popped up and started doing all of his demonstrations. Sat back down and he says, yeah, but what is it for? What do you do with it? He stood back up. Did all of his gestures. It was all about one thing. All of his muscle building was for one thing. Show. Just show. Just to impress others. That's all it was about. And God is writing in 1 Corinthians and saying, listen, I brought you into this body and I gifted you into this local church body not for show. Not for you to show that you go to church. Not for you to show whatever gift or talent you had so that people go, oh, wow. I brought you in here to do something practical. To contribute. To help build one another up. In fact, let's go a little bit further in this text as we talk about this idea. Every body part is needed by the body. Every body part is needed. He says that in verses 15 through 18 that we already read. That if some were to say, well, I'm not needed because I'm not the eyeball. I'm just the, I'm just the ear. So what good am I? He says, but you need the ear. You need the smell. You need that big toe, though we cover it up as often as possible. We need it for balance. We need those different features. It's not until we really you know, break a finger or, or jam a finger we realize how important that th- finger is. Every finger is important. He says it's so important. He says, and every individual within the body of Christ, within a local church, no matter what your gift is, you are valuable. You are important to the body to function. That it is so necessary. He says when you don't contribute, when you decide to take off, when you decide you've done enough, you handicap or hurt the bigger body. If you're all of a sudden, if your right arm decided, I need a vacation this week, and it would not function, and it would not respond to you, you would go to the doctor saying something is wrong. You would say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Well, what about this body? What about this church? When some say, I've done enough. I don't need to do anymore. And they take a siesta. They take a break, and they are no longer contributing. Doesn't that handicap the body as a whole? When there's no contributions? Let me, let me challenge you to think through this from God's point of view. Not from where you're sitting. Not from the pew that says, I've done enough. Not from the pew that says, I come here to get. Come from God's perspective. From God's perspective, every believer, according to this text, if he has gifted you to help the bigger body, every believer has a responsibility to minister within a local church. Every believer. Everyone who's gifted has been gifted to help build the body. There's there's no other way around this text. From God's perspective... You have not contributed by simply showing up. You have not graced God's body with your presence. You have to contribute. From God's perspective, it would be wrong for me or you to devalue the body by thinking that this worship service is only and all about me getting something out of it. And as long as I get, I don't have to give. That, that's a pretty radically pompous idea by Scripture. 
It is not about figuring out how I can get by with doing the least contribution. It is coming from God's perspective, it is giving. I'm not talking money and money alone. It is giving to the body. It is contributing to the growth of other people. It is helping others to be built up in the faith. It is helping the body to grow by reaching out to other people. Reaching in and reaching out. This is what worship is about. I understand church is about worship and instruction and fellowship and as well the evangelism. I understand. But a major part of this is where we gather and we give God worship, but we also help one another. Fellowship is critical. It is important that we are building up one another. That's why this whole series on United we stand. This whole idea that it is important, as we talked about last Sunday night, that we greet one another. It is important that we encourage one another. It is important that we forgive one another. It is important that we exhort one another, we comfort one another. All these one another passages. That God says church isn't just about me and me getting and coming and showing up for an hour and a half and there I've done my obligation. It is about contributing to the growth of the body of Christ. You see, in our country, in our age where we live, it's more about me. 1928, this is a long time ago, but this set some of the pattern. There's two peoples that are up in the Boston area. There they are in the Massachusetts area, and they went to court, went to the state Supreme Court. That there's this case where a fellow is walking along across one of the wharfs, one of the docks. He falls into the water. He cannot swim. He's, you know, he's calling for help. Sitting right there, sitting there in a chair, sunning himself, was a fellow who was a very, very, very good swimmer. In fact, he was an instructor. He didn't go in. He didn't move. He was not wanting to be bothered. And his defense was, am I my brother's keeper? Literally was his defense. The man drowned. The family was so upset, they sued this fella. The courts found that he wasn't to be held liable. He is not his brother's keeper. It's all about me. Here, let's bring it a little bit sooner, a little closer to history. Princeton student decides they want to do a little bit of vandalism on one of the ceiling, one of the roofs on top of one of the buildings there. So they go up on top and they're starting to fool around with some of the devices up there to create some problems and they grabbed an electrical piece of equipment that shocked them. Knocked them down, they were injured, they sued the school. They won the lawsuit. The school did not properly identify that this was dangerous equipment to any thief or robber. And they were held accountable. It's all about me. How about a recent story that goes a little bit further? In Maryland, girl threatens the school. I want to play on the, the guys' football team. If you don't let me play on the team, I'm going to sue the school district because of sexual discrimination. We're going to let her play. First scrimmage, first scrimmage, she got hurt within the first couple minutes. She sued the school and won she won $1.5 million because nobody told her the potential risk of injury inherent in the sport. It's all about me. It's about me getting my way and everybody looking out for me. Now, before we cast too many stones, let's do a little bit of examining. If you make church about you, how you're served, if you make church about just showing up, if you make church about attending 
but not giving, not going out of my way. If you choose church based upon pure comfort, who has the best air conditioner? By the way, ours is running pretty good. I'm cold. If we make it about who has the the best sounding stuff and not about how am I able to contribute with my gift to this local body. That's why God gifted me. That's why God leads me to a church. So I contribute. So I help build it by reaching out and reaching in. That's God's plan according to this text. If you are making it about you, you hinder and hurt the body of Christ. To take you a step further in this text. According to this text, every body part needs a body. How would you feel if all of a sudden your eyeball were rolling down the street by itself? It's not going to function. How about a hand? We go back to the Adams family, okay, and the hand just does the greeting. That would be odd. The, the hand needs the body. The foot needs the body. And I'm not trying to be silly, but I'm amazed by the number of believers who believe and operate that they are distinctly, uniquely qualified to function and to serve without a body. That is not what this passage says. That is not what God says. God says you need a body. God says in order to function properly, you need to be contributing to a body, not to just you and yourself. The idea here is to fulfill, to be all that God wants you to be. You need a body to contribute to. Take you a step further. According to this text, every body part needs to work together. Now, we know how it is with Mr. Potato Head. We do it. We put the ears where they don't belong. Okay? We move it all around, and it looks weird. And if you're dealing with a youngster who is trying to be serious and make Mr. Potato Head look right, they're going to say, oh, that's being silly. Put them where they belong. God says, let's put it where it belongs and let's work together. That means that I cannot dismiss you. I cannot devalue you. I cannot look and say, well, they're just deacons. Yeah, all they do is deek. Yeah, can't dismiss that. They have a major contribution. Well, they're just, you know, the cleaners here. They have a major contribution. They're just the nursery workers. Oh, do not say anything wrong about the nursery workers. Okay. They make a major contribution. So we need to work in harmony, in loving acceptance of one another, saying, wait a minute. I, as whatever part I have, whatever, okay, I'll pick my own part just for the sake. I'm the mouth. Okay, and you're going to say, amen, amen. <laughs> I need the rest of the, the face. I need the neck. I need you. I need to work together with you and vice versa so we can accomplish as a body growth, outreach, and inreach. Take a step further in the text. Okay. In the, uh, I, I meant to just remind you that in the first century, they did. They really got the message of love. This is a lawyer writing about the Christians, how the Christians were showing love one to another. It's amazing that even the unsaved were seeing it back in the first century. Do they see it in this century? Here we go, number six. No one person can build up the entire church alone. That's what he's saying in this text. As you look at it, he says all the body parts need to contribute. That the whole concept is this idea. Here's wrong. Here's wrong thinking. Let me illustrate it this way. Okay? No one body part is responsible to build up the entire body. That's an impossibility. That's, the text would, would, would decry that. We need all the parts. So it would be wrong for me to get up and say, it's all up to me. 
to make sure this church grows. That would be arrogant, that would be wrong, that would be dictatorial and tyrannical according to scriptures. That would be an evil thought. It would be just as wrong for somebody to sit in the pew and to say, well, the leaders, they better get on the ball if they want me to keep on coming. They better serve me better. It would be evil and wrong to say they don't need me. They're big enough. They got plenty of people. I'm not needed. That is so erroneous by Scripture. That is so errant by Scripture. No matter what the size of the body, God has led and placed peoples there to contribute all of them to contribute to the growth, the inreach, the outreach of the body, to make a difference, to make an impact, to encourage, to build up, to contribute in some fashion. Here's the way it should be. This is the thinking that should be. I need to do my part. 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 My part. My part. And do my part to contribute. Not necessarily police how everybody else is doing, but to worry, first and foremost, am I making my contribution? Am I doing my part to building up? Am I doing my part in evangelism? Am I doing my part in getting the Word taught? Am I doing my part in, in promoting harmony and peace? Am I doing my part in making sure we are promoting good doctrine? Am I doing my part in making others feel welcomed, accepted, and needed? Am I doing my part in expressing forgiveness and forbearance? Am I doing my part praying for one another? Am I doing my part in challenging when there needs to be a challenge, where there needs to be a confrontation? Am I doing my part? See, all these are parts that are supposed to contribute. They're all valuable. And each one of us has a role to play. And so we understand that the body was not designed to be one individual part, but many parts. And those many parts need to contribute. Those many parts need not to sit back and leave the burden upon others, but they each and every one needs to contribute, to do something, to make some difference, to try to teach, help, encourage, build up, try to provide some ministry. That's all what Paul's writing about in this passage. In Ephesians 4, which I'm going to leave until next week, he expands upon that. And he says, here's all about building up, building up, building up, building up, contributing. Not just showing up, but making contribution to help the ministry to reach out. We're going to, be, we're going to have a challenge. In a matter of just a few weeks, you're going to be asked, can you make help and contribute to reaching out during neighborhood night? Attitude could be, well, that, others can do that. I've got better things to do than to help build the body of Christ. Well, that, that's, you know, that, that's, you know, somebody else does a better job. There are so many contributions that can be made at all levels. Well, you know, somebody else is a better teacher with the kids. That's probably true. That probably a whole lot can do a whole lot better than you and me teaching the kids. But making an effort, making a contribution is important. Giving out a tract is important. Talking to somebody who looks like they're struggling is important. Praying when we have prayer times together is important. Making yourself available to contribute, maybe in the music, maybe in ministering in something that is so ignoble and so forgotten as nursery duty, but so important. 
I mean, we could, we could demonstrate the importance next week just not have a nursery. Ushering. Helping in so many different capacities. Contributing. Contributing. Not saying, oh, they have enough. No. They need me. And the fact is, we do. You are important. You are led. You were brought here. And so what do we do? What is it that the areas we can work on? Well, I've already mentioned several. Can I mention one more this morning that I would encourage you to encourage? One more to just work on this week. As we've talked about several of these over the last few Sundays, and we'll, finish, we'll do a couple more of the next couple of weeks, but in 1 Thessalonians 4 it says, Wherefore comfort in the King James. Encourage one another and build up one another as you have done in the past. Just look at this for, with me for just a minute. What does it mean to encourage one another and build up one another as you have done in the past? He's writing to a local body in Thessalonica, the believers there, the church of Thessalonica, he's saying, okay, here you guys are, you're a good church. Let me, let me encourage you to do this, parakaleo, teach, encourage, console, comfort. It has a wide variety of the ideas. Literally, it has this idea to pull others up, to bend over, reach down, and to pull somebody up. That's somebody who is discouraged. That's somebody who is strained. That's somebody who is bewildered. That's somebody who is untaught. That's somebody who needs to know the truth, needs to know how to pray. They've never prayed before in a public fashion, but they need somebody to teach them. That's somebody who doesn't know how to discipline their kids, how to teach their kids the Word of God. they, They just don't know. He says, help them out. Help them out, reaching out and helping them. This encouraging one another points out to me, it can be done. It can be done, because he says you've done it in the past. It needs to be done. It's a command. It's an imperative. Encourage is not just an option. Throw them out there and say, why don't you think about this? It is, you must do this. I command you to do this and to keep on doing it repeatedly to encourage, to encourage, to encourage, to reach out, to actually have some contact and communication with somebody who needs encouragement, with somebody who needs to be propped up, with somebody who needs to be built up. I'll give you an illustration this evening that won't go online because of the privacy of the nature, but for our church family, I'll get more in depth this evening of how this is so real for one of our families that we can minister to. But reaching out and helping, how? How can I do that? Maybe letting others know you appreciate what they've done. Maybe sharing God's blessing. Maybe asking somebody, going out of your way, asking, is there something I can pray for this week? Maybe then actually praying for them. Maybe you let them know how much of a blessing they were to you and your family. That they just need that reassurance. Maybe it's going out and visiting somebody. Maybe it's, you know, swapping kids and letting that couple who really needs a time out, that's a bad, bad, (laughs) uh, in my family that means the spanking, Um, that uh, they need time away, time together, swapping kids. Maybe, maybe go and visit one of the elderly who's shut in. Maybe it's uh, agreeing to help somebody in a ministry. I want to give you such a simple Maybe it's, maybe it's just totally innocuous. Maybe it's just a waste of time and effort to try it and see if it works. Maybe sometimes we just need to know 
that our labors are appreciated. Maybe the deacons need to hear just once in a while a thank you and not a complaint. Maybe the music people need to hear, I appreciate what you're doing and the efforts you're doing instead of, hey, you were off key today. Maybe the nursery workers, maybe they need to hear, thank you for watching my kids instead of, oh, you didn't change the diaper, right? Maybe the ushers need to hear something positive. Thank you for the effort you do in walking through the parking lot and, the, and checking our cars, making sure we're safe, and walking through the building and trying to provide security, plus get back here. You never want, know when Burgraff's going to be done or when he's going to be taking the offering. Yeah. Instead of, hey, you know it's cold in here? Yeah, they do. I keep saying it. Okay, it's cold in here today. Maybe, maybe we could, we could provide a little bit of encouragement. Just something so simple that somebody else suggested to me. Write a thank you note. Not to just an individual, but to, and maybe you want to, you can do that, but to a group that sometimes, how do you catch all the nursery workers? We put baskets, have it arranged. Right there's a table outside the foyer. A basket with a variety of groups. Junior church workers, Sunday school teachers, ushers, music people. And you can take out of your bulletin this little card and just write a thank you that you do appreciate. Maybe it would help you and me, instead of walking away, thinking of something that could be done better, we would just appreciate. We're babysitting the grandkids this week. Their parents are coming home today. Um, (laughs) So we try to make it special so they don't miss their mom and dad. We try to make things, do special things with them. I find that the more the special things we do, the more they expect. And it's like, well, today, you know, when we got out of here yesterday, it was like, okay, we're done with some calls and things like that. We're going to go home. What are you going to do special with me? I'm going to put you to bed. (laughs) No, no, you want to do something special with me. I do. Yeah. Yeah, you really want to do something special with me. I tell you what, I'll let you swim in the backyard while I mow the lawn. No. You need to do something special with me. No, you need to be content. (laughs) Just be thankful that I did anything for you. Okay. That's the way I think in my heart in those moments. Don't you? When you hear just complaint, complaint, complaint. Don't you wish somebody would just say, thank you for that burnt offering that you prepared. Is it so hard, is it so hard to encourage someone with a note? Is it so difficult to say, I have been assigned to build up this body. And God, I'm going to take that assignment. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to work at encouraging multiple people this week. 